the starting point is the city in itself. Like the city is the main protagonist of the magazine. So we always start with an architect or urbanist who's explaining the city like historically, structurally. And also I always ask them to give us some, some piece of advice and solutions for the city to embrace its own people. Welcome to Urban Limitrophe, a Toronto-based podcast exploring the global African experience by highlighting the various initiatives happening in cities across the African continent and occasionally the diaspora to creatively solve problems, support communities, create vibrant urban spaces, and build better cities overall. I'm your host, Alexandra, and join me as I explore this episode's topic, African Cities in the Media. This episode is sponsored by the University of Toronto School of Cities and co-supported by the Department of Geography and Planning. The School of Cities convenes urban-focused researchers, educators, students, practitioners, and the general public to explore and address complex urban challenges with the aim of making cities and urban regions more sustainable, prosperous, inclusive, and just. To learn more about their work, visit www.schoolofcities.utoronto.ca. This episode is also sponsored by Glowreel. Glowreel is a weekly newsletter curated by women of color and delivered straight to inboxes every Monday. Glowreel seeks to highlight the stories and achievements of BIPOC women. The aim is to empower and inspire BIPOC women to celebrate their wins, discuss important issues impacting them, and to encourage anyone who identifies as a BIPOC woman to blaze their own trail. Each edition includes a weekly news roundup of stories you need to know a feature of a BIPOC woman or women who is making waves in her community, and a deep dive on a BIPOC woman in history who broke down barriers for the rest of us. To subscribe and to learn more, make sure to visit www.glowreal.co. The stereotypes about Africa that shape the Western world perception of the continent are best summed up by an article by the late great Binyavanga Wainaina titled, how to write about Africa. Mr. Wainaina's piece cleverly critiques the typical ways that the quote-unquote dark continent is often described in history and popular media that overemphasizes the poverty and danger present, generalizes the diversity and complexity of the landscape, geography, cultures, and the people who live across it, and trivializes the patterns of colonization, settler colonization, and neo-colonization enacted by the Western world that laid the foundations for the injustices and inequality we see today. For example, Mr. Wainaina writes, remember any work you submit in which people look filthy and miserable, we refer to as the real Africa, and you want that on your dust jacket. Do not feel queasy about this. You're trying to help them get aid from the West. His article challenges the reader to reconsider the quote unquote real Africa and how the stories we've read in books and seen on TV, as well as the maps and histories we're taught in school, and even the music we've listened to skew our perceptions of this continent, and I would argue the rest of the non-Western world as well. This misconception can have very real impacts when they seep into urban planning and policies and programs that go on to shape the development of cities and regions. When these stereotypes trickle into popular media, such as in movies, books, or documentaries, these harmful narratives can often be internalized, leading to feelings of shame rather than pride for one's culture, country, and or people. 
It can even affect whole industries like tourism, whereby Africa is often depicted as a place where people want to escape from and not return to. But before 2019 became synonymous with the COVID-19 pandemic, it was declared by Ghana's president Akufo Addo to be the year of return. And it marked 400 years since the first enslaved Africans reached America. The year of return was an international call welcoming home all people of African descent to return to the continent and connect back to their roots. And this call rang loud and clear and was answered by half a million diasporans who took part in festivities such as Afro-Nation and Afrochella, all the while dismantling the false narratives that we were taught about the continent. I was fortunate enough to speak back in May with Liz Gomis, a filmmaker, producer, journalist, and now magazine editor, who is the brilliant mastermind behind Off Two Magazine, a bilingual, biannual magazine available online and through print that explores African cities through the eyes of local citizens. Each issue centers around one African city and uses the experience of local journalists, writers, artists, architects, urban planners, historians, and more to dispel some of the myths about the city and share why it is a region worth heading off to. Let's tune in. My first question for you is, what is Off To Magazine? So Off To Magazine, I conceived it as a conversation or a bridge between the youth in Africa and the youth from the diaspora. So for me, yes, it's a conversation. It's a meeting point. It's also a guide in a way and like a magazine, like regular magazine talking about like topics about that continent that we are not used to see in the classical media. So that's of two, like a conversation through a magazine. Yeah, I like that way of thinking about it. Yeah, definitely a conversation about yeah the different narratives, but also the different histories and like legacies and how that relates to people. So yeah, it definitely comes through in the magazine. So that's really interesting. And so what inspired you to start this magazine? What inspired me is the fact that when I was younger, I never had a magazine uh, speaking of these topics like that. There was La Revue Noire. La Revue Noire was um, more focused on contemporary art. But I discovered it, I was in my 20s. So yes, when I was maybe 25 years old, there were no like, yeah, material to know more about that continent through a different lens, through a, a, a local lens. So that's why I decided to um, conceive this magazine because of the fact that we didn't have any material to refer to. And for me, it was really important to make like physical magazine because I really think about the fact that we need to archive, we need to record our things, our stories. We cannot just put everything on the internet or just be publishing like pictures on the Instagram, like pretty pictures with a small cafe with the leaf uh, inside and a cool bathing suit and that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, we need, it's not that we need to be serious, but yes, I wanted to have something that maybe in five years, uh, one student of 25 years old will be like, okay, I discovered that country through that magazine. And he will be able to just, you know, search in his shelves and be like, okay, I remember that. And then open the magazine and be like, okay, that foundation, um, for example, in the Accra issue, that Nubuke foundation now has become this, 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 and that. And so we will be able to know where we started from. 
Yeah, I think that what you're talking about is focusing on the uh, something concrete, having like a physical archive is really important because I feel like before the internet, before we had tablets, <laughs> or like before we yes. had like phones, like I'm just thinking about back when I used to take the subway, <laughs> uh, when you see people sitting and like with their reading, that's how you'd figure out, okay, this is what's going on in the community. So I can imagine me seeing someone else reading this in the subway, I'd probably stop them and be like, what is, what is this? I've never, you know, I've never seen something like this before. And yeah, I think that's really important having kind of like a legacy left behind that people exactly. can turn to, especially as like you have more and more issues coming out. They can, yeah, just see how like these different cities have evolved since then. So that's really, that's an interesting uh, spin because I feel like from like the magazines I remember I used to read is when I was younger, like I used to read a lot of like 17 magazine. I realized yeah. like, they used to do a monthly issue, but now it's like two months per issue now. And then I thought that was kind of telling of maybe magazines aren't, they're not doing as well as they used to. So that's interesting. And so what kind of content can readers expect to read in, in each issue? So the starting point is the city in itself. Like the city is the main protagonist of the magazine. So we always start with an architect or urbanist who's explaining the city like historically, structurally. And also I always ask them to give us some, some piece of advice and solutions for the city to embrace its own people. Because what I see from the cities I've visited so far is that there are huge capital cities. So people are coming from the countryside. And right now, the city cannot embrace everybody the, the same way. So people are finding solutions to build a non-sustainable uh, habitation. And, you know, it's a struggle sometimes to live in those big cities in Kinshasa and in Accra. It's the same thing. So, yes, I'm asking them what would be the best solution for the city to embrace all of its people. So for this, uh, I want them to talk to me about the historical part and to talk about the the indigenous solutions that we used to have and how can we bring them back because now as you can see everybody wants huge buildings full of glass and it doesn't work with our environment with our weather so that's how I'm always asking this question what are your solutions or even if it's idealistic uh, just to have like a vision of uh, what could be the, as they love to say, smart city, but not smart city in the internet way. I'm talking about smart in the way that you are able to host other people who are coming to, to that city. So first of all, yes, it's architecture, also politics, because everything is linked at, uh, after all. So we are talking about politics because it's about planning. Of course, culture, because I'm from that, uh, that field and con uh, contemporary art or music, because... I think that artists can really shift mentalities. And then sometimes I want to talk about religion because, for example, in Accra, even in Kinshasa, religion has a central, central role in the city and for the citizens. So um, I want to raise that kind of question because sometimes religions lead you to another aspect. For example, I didn't make that article about the LGBTQI uh, community in Accra and the conflict they have between the religious part and that new generation. But these are the kind of conversation I want, yeah, I want to, not to raise, but to just ask like, what is going on? So yes, it's mostly, uh, it's mostly about the city, but everything that makes 
a city. So architecture, politics, environment, because it's really important. And of course, talking about social issues, um, because it's really important too. So yes, mm -hmm. that's mainly the thing we are talking about. Architecture, politics, social issues, environment, uh, sometimes religion, uh, culture. That's yeah. what we do. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything. But yeah, like you said, all the components that make up a city. Um, exactly. a city is, yeah, a city is its people and its people are, yeah, are at the intersections of all these different topics. So that's what I also found very interesting about this, about this magazine, this approach, because it's not like, it's not like a travel magazine per se, where it's like, oh, come see, <laughs> come yeah, see the sites, yeah. This is exactly because I didn't want to make like a tourist guide yes. uh, just to say, okay, uh, you have to visit that cathedral and then maybe eat a, a bagel. <laughs> we don't even have bagels, eat bagels in <laughs> Africa, but you know, the guys are mostly like this. So mm -hmm. I was like, this is so empty. Like the idea is empty. Um, and you place the, the, the reader as a consumer because when you are doing a guide, it's for people to go and consume at the end of the day. So I was like, I'm not doing a, a, a city guide. I really want you to, yeah, to feel the energy and to understand the city. And when you'll be there, you'll be only led by your common sense, you know, not by the, the fact that you are going to make beautiful um, pictures and it's going to, uh, to be... Uh, a hit on uh, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's fair. And so how do you pick the cities that you showcase in each issue? I know there's two so far, Accra in Ghana and Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But yeah, how do you decide? So to be honest, the first one, I decided just like this. I was like, okay, what is the capital city? I really want to experience more than just coming on vacation because I'm going to Accra like every year since 2016. And I was like, okay, what is the city I really enjoy? I can do Dakar because my mother is living uh, half of the year in Dakar and it's easy for me. And I was like, no, I want to discover something else. So I was like, okay, I really love Accra and I know people there. So I just called them like, okay, guys, I have this idea. What do you think? And everybody was thrilled. So it was only like this. Okay, so let's go with Accra. And the fact is that things went really, really fast to contact people, to write, and even for the photographers, I knew that the creative scene was really huge. So it was the easiest way for me because as I was not in Accra myself, because it was during the lockdown, I was in Paris, I needed to have a city that I knew that I can imagine. So I played the easiest way for the Accra issue. Then for the second one, it was Kinshasa. And Kinshasa, I'd never been there. Actually, I didn't have the chance to go there because of lockdown uh, in October. But I sent uh, the photographer, Priska. She's from Kinshasa, but she's living in Marseille in the south of France now. So I was just like, okay, you have uh, the passport. You have the nationality. So it's easier for you to pass the border. So you are going for me. You, you, you are going to be my eyes and my ears. Plus you're a super, super, super dope photographer. So just be my featured editor like uh, for the visual part. She was like, okay, perfect. So she actually just hired people to make a team and those people were already creative people. So I just sent her with the idea of the cover because I, want, I was like, okay, Kinshasa is the city of creativity. So for the cover, I want someone like a superhero. I don't know if he will have a cape or something. I want the city in the back and maybe shoot him from the ground, from below, exactly. So she just had that brief 
and when she just sent me okay the ideas the wings and blah 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 I was like perfect and I just let her do what she's doing best so that's how um, I pick Kinshasa and then Maputo it's going to be the next issue Maputo is only because I have I went there in 2019 for work only for five days and in five days I was like I want to live in that city wow <laughs> like really because of the people I met there because of the atmosphere because of the fact that I felt like a sense of freedom there. I'm going to give you an example that it's that can be completely crazy, but we went to a we went to a party. It was like outside. Actually it was on the sidewalk. And people were dancing, everybody was dancing to uh, to together and I saw just two guys, one guy I, I was talking to, he was gay from South Africa and the other guy was a straight guy from um, uh, Mozambique Maputo and the two guys were just dancing and enjoying themselves there. And I was like, I never saw that <laughs> on that <laughs> continent. Mm -hmm. Even in France, like straight guys dancing with an openly gay guy, I never saw that. And I was like, okay, of course it's the city. We're not on the countryside. Maybe it's a different story if I was, uh, I don't know, in the north of the country. But for me, it was a, the sign that, okay, you can just be who you want to be in that city. I'm not even from the LGBTQ community, but for me, it was the sign of, there is something that I didn't see anywhere else. And the, the last thing is the fact that there are so many cultures in that country because they are from the Indian Ocean. So they are African, they are Asian. Uh, you have like indigenous people. So the mix of everything, the mix of religion, the mix of culture made me feel like ah, I love that city. I love the fact that, again, you can be who you want to be and nobody cares about that. So that's how I choose Maputo. And I met that girl, uh, her name is Eliana. She's a writer and she made a book for kids and she's writing very well. She's writing very well and she's really nice. And I spent like two hours with her and she was explaining me things about the, about the, 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 the city, about gentrification, about the place of the women in the society, things that I didn't see because I was, I was a foreigner and I was coming from the outside. And from that conversation, I was like, I need to do a Maputo episode. So it's coming. We are starting to work next week. Awesome. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to read all about it. That's really interesting. Yeah, what you're saying about also the process of picking the different cities. I think that's fair. <laughs> Just kind of yeah, playing on your experiences and your interests. I think similarly for this podcast, I just kind of pick based on what I've seen, what I think is kind of cool and what I can connect to. And I think that's what yes. makes it more perhaps more relatable for people or more engaging because you can see that you're actually like invested, so to speak, in the in the topic, in the in the city. And yeah, I think that's interesting what you're saying about what you saw in Maputo was different from what you saw in other cities. And that just kind of helps to dispel further like the myths that we have about Africa or African cities, about them all being the same, or at least they're being depicted the same way when it's not true. That's it. Yeah. And so what I find interesting about your magazine is, is that uh, like you mentioned, overall, it's trying to like flip the narrative, this negative narrative we were talking about, but also it's still trying to remain authentic to the city, you know, showing its various facets. So not like the, showing like the good, the bad, the ugly. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. We have saying. our problems. We cannot yeah. avoid them. Yeah. So it's better to, 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 yeah, to just put it on the table and say, okay, what's the problem? The problem is this. How can we think about it? How can we just play our part, even if it's really, really small? So yes, when I did Accra, we talked about the fast fashion industry and the consequences 
in um, in Ghana, and this is happening in other countries in uh, on, uh, on the continent. And it's a global problem. It's not only about the fact that us in the north are buying cheap clothes uh, at Primark or in uh, H&M. It's also about the politics that are that uh, they are running there, like the fact that they allowed eight tons of uh, clothes to come like every day in this uh, market. You cannot absorb that much uh, secondhand clothes. And so when you see that Rwanda just said, uh, it was like two years ago or three years ago, just say, okay, Trump, you're not going to send us uh, your secondhand bales anymore. So for me, it's really important to put that on the table. It's really about political decisions. So it's global, but it's also a political and local decision that makes that industry that way. So it raises so much question. Yeah, and I think that's another important aspect about providing that context. And that goes back to the different topics, like the politics, the arts, and the history, most importantly, because I feel how Africa is displayed in the media when they talk about issues and they just show like poverty. And it's like, okay, they're poor, but why are they poor? Or like, why is this poverty happening? So talking about secondhand clothing and like, I'm sure the way the media might spin it, it might look like, oh, you know, the, the country in itself is like neglecting this issue, but not understanding that it's literally a global issue. Like the path that got us here isn't just one country alone or one group of people alone, it's all of us. Exactly. And so can you explain some of the misconceptions that you've heard that inspired you to like start this magazine and, and, and kind of address these different issues we talked about? So I made a, that series that you saw, Africa Riding. I wrote that series, I think it was in 2016. Just the fact to go to different channels to pitch that series, it was a struggle. It took me two years for one channel to accept it. But before they accepted it, they just told me, okay, you have to make an episode zero and then we'll see. Because they couldn't believe that there was another story. So all of these experiences led me to the magazine, actually. Because we did Africa writing. When we did episode zero, we shot it in Senegal. As I told you, Senegal, for me, it's really easy because I know everybody. So I don't have any problem to do whatever I want. So we came back with images from Senegal. And it's the same Senegal everybody experienced. But the way we filmed it and the people we picked up to film, it was completely different. So when I came back with those images, like the channel was like, wow, we never thought it was like that. But some of them went to, um, to, uh, to vacation in Senegal. But when you go with your lenses from the Western world, you see exactly what you want to see and what you're used to see. And this time I came with a, yeah, just a, a different road. I led them to a different road to Senegal, a country that they know. And yes, these are the kind of misconceptions that I'm fighting uh, against because I really think that the media has to play its role about and it's not only about uh, Africa, yes, about people that are different from you. Like, I live in France. I was born in France. So the only people I saw on TV were white. Like, uh, until maybe I was 18 years old when they picked up, like, randomly a guy and put it on the <laughs> on the news. Mm -hmm. So everybody was like, whoa, his name is Ari Roselmak. Whoa, who is this guy? He was, his head was shaved like typical black guy, like dark skin and all. We were like hallucinating in front of our TV. Like they did that for real. So you can imagine how it is. Like, you're like, how come this became an event? It's only because we never had the chance to see ourselves 
in the most objective way on TV, in uh, newspaper, on magazines. And the only references we had was on uh, women magazine. But to be fair, I'm kind of a tomboy. Uh, since I'm a young girl, I used to go to sport. So all of the topic for like women, I'm not into it and I'm not reading it. So I never had the chance to. So my only reference was hip hop music and hip hop culture. I was explaining that yesterday. It's the hip hop culture that led me to uh, the African continent. So I went first to the US and then I came back <laughs> on, the, on the continent. Yes, it's crazy. But when you were born as a Westerner, even if your parents are African, you, yeah, you grow up like a, like a French girl and you want to be a French girl when you're six years old. You want to be a French girl. You don't want to be African because you know that if you're African, it means that you are different and people will treat you differently. So yes, and then when you grow up, you see things differently. Uh, your spirit and your mind is more like looking for the authenticity. And then uh, at that point, you're like, okay, I know that I'm different, but I don't know where to educate myself. So you go to the library and then you start to read books and then one book leads you to another and then to a movie. And then you're like, there's a whole different world and how come like the mass media cannot, uh, don't talk about that. Like I'm discovering a whole new library, a whole new cinematic library and how come I have to go and look for it? It's never, yeah, it never came on my table just like, hey, look, there's this. Never. I always had to go and look for. And so that's why I make the, the magazine. I'm like, now it's time for us to stop looking for the information, looking for that other world we were hidden from and just bring that magazine and say, okay, you're 20, you're 25. There's this and it's made by locals only and they are the same age than you. And it's just that they are living in, in a different country and they are just going to tell you another story. That's it. Yeah, that's really interesting what you're talking about. How you to connect back to Africa, you travel through America I and like hip-hop culture to get back to the continent. And I feel like I went through a similar phase as well. That's kind of how I've approached it. I mean, I'm in Canada, right? And so we're like neighbors <laughs> with the US. Yeah. And so a there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. So, and I think definitely hip hop culture is how I started to connect back with myself and in my different cultures that I'm connected to. But I know I'm not the only one. And I know that's something that was in one of the articles in the magazine with Leticia Candolo, who I'm also mm -hmm. a big fan of. She's a, a well-known fashion designer from the country. And she mentioned the same thing because like the title of the article was Quinoa's 4.0. And she was talking similarly about that connection between yeah, her growing up in France and then finally going back to Kinshasa, going back to her homeland and then having a deep connection to the area and to the place. And I think, yeah, the same thing happened to me when I went to Lumumbashi and seeing all the different <laughs> things. Yeah, it really like struck a chord with me. And then also, like I was telling you, kind of made me a bit upset to see that it, it was so poorly portrayed when you're like, there's so many things going on. How could they do this? Yes, it's not the experience I'm living when I'm going there. Like, it's exactly that. When I go to Dakar, the things that I saw uh, on TV in France, I'm like, where did they go to find <laughs> all these people? Like, I'm, seriously, I'm like, we're talking about Dakar. Like, it's really urban. Like, really, really urban. And the only thing that you managed to, uh, to give me is, like, the extreme poverty. I'm like, come on. There's different layers in the in a city. 
different layers, even in the inhabitants. So please be fair and make a balance between, yes, there's a neighborhood where you will find people who are struggling like on a daily basis. And you have people that are like really regular people, like regular, and then you have the rich, rich, rich ones. So it's always all the, the poorest or the rich ones because the rich ones, they're more like, they are the kids of the minister of whatever. And he's just like uh, putting money in his pocket and he just bought four SUVs. So you're like, like there is no regular people on, the, on those cities, please. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And then that's the thing. It, even here in Toronto, if you, if they really wanted to focus on poor people, you could, because like we have like a homeless crisis going on and it's not just Toronto. It's not just cities in Canada, cities in the U.S. A lot of them are dealing with same exactly. issues like everywhere, honestly. But yeah, that's just the point that we're all dealing with the same issues. But when the light is shown on one particular geographical region, it's always the same issues. You never see the good stuff versus like if you spin it and look at North America or Europe, it's always the good stuff. It's like only the good stuff, none of the bad. And so that leads me to my next question, actually, where your connection between like the diaspora and the locals, how do you use the magazine to build the bridges between these two worlds and like kind of bring them together? Actually, I think it's really natural as I'm part of the diaspora and I'm the one who created this. The thing is, I really, I put myself in the back because as I told you, I'm not from Accra, I'm not from Kinshasa, and plus I never been to Kinshasa, so I cannot be the girl in the front saying, okay, I did that and I'm going to interview uh, these people and talk about that neighborhood. I never saw that neighborhood. So um, I think the bridge is really natural because I put myself in the back. I just said to um, the people I'm hiring, like, okay, so the first question I'm asking them, actually, it's not like I want something, I want an article about this. I'm like, what do you want me to, uh, what do you want to tell about your city? What is your feeling about this and about that? And that's how we built the, the, the editorial line. I'm not imposing things. I'm just here to say, okay, I saw this. When I know the topic, I'm like, I saw this, but maybe I'm wrong. What is your feeling about it? So we were talking about politics. That's how I, I talked to Anne Kazongo, who wrote the piece on politics. So I was like, okay, I saw this, uh, this group called La Lucha, and what is going on? in the political uh, yeah, situation in, uh, in Congo. So she was like, maybe we should ask the youth because we have different parts of the youth who's for the, this one, the second part was for this one, but the only thing they, are, they have in common is like everything has to change. So, okay, go and do your thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really like that. And so that's why I'm saying it's natural. It's because we are just listeners and we are waiting for actually for that content when you are not living on the continent. You are waiting for that content because, as I told you, there's a lack of information. There's information like you have BBC Africa, you have CNN Africa, uh, even, in, uh, even here you have Le Monde Afrique or you have Le Point Afrique. But it's always, as I told you, it's always a white guy, most of the time, who's writing the stuff. So sometimes even on the, uh, the first sentence you are reading, you're like... <laughs> so many cliches in like a small sentence like this, mm -hmm. you know? And so when you are reading this, because you are, um, yeah, you just want to inform yourself. You're like, I'm tired of this. Like I am tired. And it, it made me think of uh, that story about that, uh, that painter uh, in, uh, in Kenya from New York times. So they'd be like, yeah, we just, for the first time in history, we shot 
that uh, beautiful black panther from Kenya is the first time we had some pictures of it. And then the Kenyan people were pissed and they were like, what are you saying? We just pictured that, uh, that animal for like years. The only difference is you had a super HD camera. So you have it like from closer. And so it made a huge, huge story on, the, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Just because guys, you didn't discover that continent. And that's it. And that's why, for me, I think the bridge between the diaspora and the people who are writing the magazine is really natural. It's only because they trust the people who write. Yeah. They trust it because you know that he cannot lie. It's his or her city. So for me, I'm like, yes, it's really natural. And it's a question of, um, of trust. Like uh, the fact that people know that the magazine is made only by Africans in a way reassure people and make you comfortable. And what's funny, it's like when I uh, did the first uh, Accra issue, I didn't put my face on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. People were asking me, yeah, you're just another white savior who's doing a <laughs> magazine <laughs> about <laughs> Africa. Like, and I was like, hey, we have so much work, mm-hmm. like so much. People couldn't believe that we were doing that magazine by ourselves um, and ourselves for our community. Like I had maybe five or six emails saying like, yeah, you're just another white savior. And I'm like, okay, um, just go to my personal profile. (laughs) My name is Liz Gomez. I'm from Guinea-Bissau. And I was like, why are you thinking that? Yeah, because I just saw this, um, uh, I just saw this picture passed on my uh, feed. And I thought that it was another Karen <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and then when I said openly that, no, we are all Africans in the team. I'm talking about, I'm working only with locals and those kind of information, people started to trust us like, oh, okay. But the magazine wasn't out still. And when uh, I released it in August and the first people who received it, they just, write so good reviews even on their Instagram like showcasing the magazine and uh, telling me oh thank you I didn't know it was like this and like that that's how the things changed but when I started the Instagram people were like oh no 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 no, no. Uh, we are fed up of this not another white girl doing something about poor Africans and I was like no this is not my position actually uh, I'm really really far from it yeah, I can understand how people are are fed up <laughs> with having yes. yeah, having their stories told for them. And that's what also what I thought was very interesting when I did initially reach out to you about the issue. And you're like, oh, actually, it wasn't you like writing the, all these stories. And so that's what even like got me even more interested that you had yeah pulled from a local context, uh, from a local person and pulling from local people to collectively tell the story and just kind of like using, I guess, you know, your collective skills and platforms to, to make this come to life. So I thought that's important and the kind of thing that we need now more community versus doing things alone. And so speaking of the issue, what aspects of this issue uh, are you really excited to share? There's one piece I love. It's like a short one. It's the first one, like the hustler's code. Débrouillez-vous. Yeah. I love it because (laughs) when I read it, it's Sarah Bita Mazire. She lives in Kinshasa. She's half Ugandan and Swedish, I think. And she's living in Kinshasa and she was like, okay, the only thing I want to talk about is the feeling that I have when I 
experience my first month in Kinshasa. And so when she sent me the, the piece, I was laughing because it's the, the, the exact same experience I had when I really um, started to know about Dakar. Like you have to be, yes, she was just like an observer. Yeah. And at the same time, so she was enduring the, 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 the city and its flows and the fact that everybody's a hustler in that capital city. And I feel like she really catch that atmosphere and she really translated very well uh, by writing it. <laughs> you know, the fact that the taxis are, are just shouting outside of the window, the mm -hmm. fact that you have to jump from a taxi to another, um, <laughs> how people react when uh, Friday is coming, everything. It's one of the pieces I really enjoy. And the second one, the piece that Nadia Yalakisukidi wrote about uh, remembrance because she's half Congolese. She's living in France now. And so the only narration she knows about the country was uh, what her father taught her since a young age. And then the first time she went to, um, to Kinshasa, it was a complete different, um, yeah, complete different city because he left in the 60s, I think. And so his um, me memories were stuck in the 60s and now we are like in the you know in 2010 or maybe 11 and it's a completely different story and I think it's a very poetic piece and I love Nadia Kisukidi so yes those two like the Hustler's Code and the Dreams of uh, Remembrance. Mm -hmm. Yeah I also really did like the, the Hustler's Code one as well I mean I haven't been to Kinshasa though I, I do very much want to go but I did go to Lumumbashi and I think this city as well um, is very, very creative and it's like kind of gritty and it's very like animated and very dynamic. And the people are so savvy and so like entrepreneurial and yes. there's so much energy that goes into it. But yeah, definitely that spirit of like, deployez-vous, <laughs> like get it together, figure it out. Like no matter what, whatever challenge is thrown at them, there's always a, a solution. Like I've seen things being fixed that I didn't know could be fixed. Yeah, and th but that's what I love about that continent. Yeah. yeah. One day I was um, uh, I was going to Saint Louis in the north of Senegal with a bus, and then I think two tires just explodes on the way. So we were on the side of the road, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, we will never <laughs> be able to go back again." Tourist people, and I was just watching the situation. Like, I know that everything is going to be fixed. I don't know how long it will take. But I know that it's going to be fixed. Don't worry about that. Actually, it was a little bit more serious than only the tires. I think it was something about the parallelism of the, of oh, the, yeah. the, the tires. And I was yeah. like, this continent is like full of resources. You can feel like, yeah, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous sometimes. But you always find a solution. You will always find a way out of a, of a problem. And the fact that people are able to reinvent themselves every second, every day. It's the um, kind of magical thing that I really enjoy when I'm there because I don't look at them. Uh, yeah, I don't see life the same way when I'm in Senegal or in Guinea-Bissau or in Accra than I'm, when I'm in Paris. In Paris, like everything is bothering me from like small things, stupid things. <laughs> and when I'm there, I just adapt myself and I'm like, okay, let it be. And we'll see after how things sort out. But that's what I really like. And I feel like Kinshasa is like this, like people are reinventing themselves 
every second. That's why I love that piece, Hustlers Code, because it's really about that. It's about hustling and it's about surviving in a way. Yeah, surviving and thriving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what's next for the Off2 magazine? So what's next? First of all, the third issue. Mm-hmm. And then I will have to find a way to raise money because until then I just financed it myself only. That's why there's no advertising. The advertisement that you can see are friends, only friends. Because first I was like, okay, I don't want to have like uh, an advertisement about Maggie powder or something <laughs> like that yeah. or for a, a random cream or so. I was like, no, it's not my, my vibe. And if it's only to earn like maybe 200 euros, I'm like, okay, I, I give you back the 200 euros and let me do my thing. It's going, uh, I will have more pages to talk on the magazine. So I didn't do that, but to be sustainable at some point, I have to find a solution to yeah to be alive uh, in 2022 so and i want the magazine to continue there's 54 countries at first i was like okay if i manage to do five i'm good but now i'm like five you know mm-hmm. there's it's 10 times more so five it's nothing so now i'm really struggling to uh, to find money but it's I'm saying struggle because it's a struggle. Uh, people are not like confident because first of all, it's a magazine, paper mag, and then it's about Africa. So two flows. <laughs> so it's not that easy, but I'm pretty sure that someone will um, recognize that there is something behind that. Also, we are preparing a podcast too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes, yes. We are preparing a podcast. So I just bought some material. I started some interviews. And it's going to be more crossover than the magazine. The magazine, it's only about cities. But this time for the podcast, I want to, yeah, I want it to be Pan-African. It's like one question raised for different people in different countries. That's the second thing. And uh, what else? Yes, I'm still continuing my documentaries. But uh, now that I have a company, like a production company, I really want off to to become kind of, um, yeah, the support of uh, what I will be able to film in the next uh, month or years. So yes, I want everything to be connected. The magazine, the podcast, the things that I'm um, shooting uh, on the continent. And uh, yeah, that's it. And so my last question for you is, how can people support the growth of your magazine? First of all, spread the word. As I was saying, yes, um, it's a question of finance, like buy the magazine, of course, but it's not only about that because I'm giving a lot of magazines actually, uh, because for me, it's more important that uh, there is a circulation than to keep it in my storage. And because I really want it to become kind of a, a movement. And the fact is that we are creating a movement like it's slowly arriving, but all the people that I uh, worked with on the Accra issue, I'm still getting in touch with them. All the people from the Kinshasa issue is going to be the same. So when we are going to do Maputo, it's going to be the same. So we are just like expanding that circle. And I, yeah, I feel like if people just spread the word, it's uh, way more interesting than just buying the magazine. Uh, So this is the first thing. And the second thing is like, yes, people can be involved, but I have a a problem is like, if I can't control things, I'm kind of freaking out. So this is the first time for me, I'm working with an assistant. So we are starting on Monday. Uh, she's a great girl. Um, so I know that 
it's going to be uh, to be great. But I have to, for example, the second thing I really need to do is to find someone to, yeah, to take care of uh, the internet stuff because I'm fed up with the Instagram like posting because if you're not posting, you are not selling uh, a copy. If you're not posting, people think that you are not existing anymore. So you have to be constant and I don't have time for this. So this is the second, um, the second thing. And then um, in every country we are doing, just like locals, if you have stories to tell, just send us a, a message on Instagram or by email. And then, uh, yeah, we just discuss about if it's uh, relevant for us to, uh, to start a, a, a partnership. And I have to, to say something, everybody is paid in this magazine. There's no volunteers. Like everybody, the, if you wrote a single word, I'm paying you because I'm freelancer myself and I know how it is. So everybody's paid. That's the principal message. <laughs> <laughs> As Liz explains, Off To Magazine is not your typical travel type magazine. And so you will not find advice about where to eat the best meal or see the best views. But what you will get are authentic stories about the city written or captured by locals, about locals, for the entire world to understand the complexity and creativity that lie within these urban regions. But perhaps more than anything, the magazine highlights the need to make room for diverse stories, not only from the African continent or diaspora, but from around the world, and about the multitude of human experiences and cultures and histories that are equally misrepresented and overlooked and that need to not only be shared, but celebrated and valued. Thankfully, there was a wave of media outlets fighting to make room for diverse voices, both digitally, for example, through newsletters like Glow Real and She Leads Africa, and digital news outlets like Amaka Studio and OK Africa, but also through leveraging the power of print, such as Hamaji Magazine, Erin Journal, and of course, last but not least, Off To Magazine. Thanks for listening to this episode. To learn more about Off2 Magazine and purchase their upcoming Maputo issue or their previous ones on Accra and Kinshasa, make sure to visit www.off2mag.com. For this episode's show notes and other resources, make sure to visit www.urbanlimitrof.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media at Urban Limitrofe to stay up to date and stay tuned for new episodes coming your way. Until next time.